The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. It's good morning to Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, a number of very interesting topics to to talk about today. Obviously, the reopening is underway, and we'll talk about uh, the implications of all of that. Um, But first of all, some science um, and something called the Doog mutation, how SARS-CoV-2, or the coronavirus, uh, gets into humans. Yeah, get what ready, do we know? Get ready, Pat, for some great science. That's, that's the thing we're going to discuss this morning. So there's a superb account of exactly how this virus penetrates our lungs. Now, now, we knew all about the spike protein was the key part of this, as we all know by now, and the spike sticks into your lung cells and then penetrates, you know. But they've, they've found that these variants of concern, very often the spike is a bit stickier, and that's why it gets in more, you know. And the very mm-hmm. first one was Doug. Yeah, that, that was the first one to be described. And it, it's a, aspartic acid to glycine, D to G, if you're a biochemist. And now they know exactly why this is much more sticky than the previous one. And it cropped up really, um, I guess, early in 2020. They first see, this is the first variant that begins to emerge. And then by the summertime, they realise, oh, this is more transmissible because they could spot that with it, you know. And now they know exactly why it's, why it's more transmissible. And it has all kinds of consequences for understanding how the virus works. Um, does it have any implications at all for vaccines or therapies? It might, yes. So, so what happens is that this, here's a bit of biochemistry. You ready, Pat? So, so proteins are a bit like um, necklaces, like beads in a string. Uh, we call each bead an amino acid and we number them, right? And the amino acid at position 614, so the 614th bead, switches in this variant, you see. And that makes it flip much more easily. So when it locks onto your lung cells, that one flips a bit more readily and a bit of energy gets released. And now the energy propels the virus inside the cell. So it's really fantastic science here, Pat. You know? Now, mm. what, what this would mean is you could use that DG in your... in your. Now, the vaccines don't have it, strangely. The vaccines still work because you give so much of the spike, you see. You can get a big immune response to it. But, of course, if you use a variant now with that D to G, you're, you'll block that much more effectively than this flipping mechanism, I guess, can be blocked, you know. But uh, the other big thing is, Pat, though, you might design a drug to stop the flipping. So if you like, when, when the spike lock, locks onto the lung cell, this flipping happens. You could design a small drug to stop the flipping and that would be an antiviral, you know, because the flipping mm. is needed to fuse basically with the, with the, with the lung cell, you know. So now that they're, they're, they're developing drugs to stop the flipping mechanism, if you will, and stop the fusion happening. So it's, it's more to do with say, an antiviral drug than a vaccine. The vaccines are working great. Of course, they will make vaccines against the variants anyway. They might as well, you know. But, uh, but this flipping mechanism is a kind of a real breakthrough in a way because there's a way now to stop the virus getting into your cell in the first place. And uh, there may be a reason why AstraZeneca would be particularly uh, effective against um, this Doug uh, or other mutants because it's it's made in a different way to Pfizer. Yeah, they kind of knew, they kind of knew from MERS that remember MERS is a related virus to, to SARS-CoV-2. They knew about the flipping mechanism there anyway because they'd studied that because that uses ACE2 as well. By the way, they're very similar viruses, you know. And AstraZeneca were able to expl- all all the vaccine companies did this really. They were able to exploit that knowledge initially, you know. I guess what it's about now, Pat, is the vaccines work great. Remember, we're not we're not disappointed by them, but they make it even better vaccines if you can imagine. We could end up with the best vaccine 
scenes in history from all this tremendous science. I mean, the amount of work that went into this, what I've just described there is massive, Pat, a lot of biochemistry, we've got the structural biology, all this kind of stuff. And that is informing future vaccine design. And of course, the, the next thing to worry about, not that we should worry, Pat, today of all days, is other coronaviruses jumping into humans. We now know so much about coronaviruses, it's unbelievable, you know? And we can deploy that knowledge now, should another, another coronavirus jump from humans, from bats into humans again, which could happen, remember, that's still a fear, not a major fear, but that's a fear that we have, you see. So all these insights should prevent. I think, to be honest, Pat, what I read in this publication was coronaviruses will never beat us again, is the idea, because of all this knowledge that we've, 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 um, we've gained against SARS-CoV-2. Now, one of uh, the concerns that people have, you know, I'm fully vaccinated, uh, which I'm not yet, but I will be shortly. But uh, someone says, I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, Can I go around without my mask, for example? Can I uh, do so without fear of being infected again by someone? Or might I infect other people? And this is where another study talks about the mouth and the nose and what a vaccine might achieve. Yeah, there's a risk that you and me will be talking about this for months every day because every day there's new science, you see. So, and as you know, I'm so excited to tell people this is a great study. So what they did was they looked at people's noses and mouths after Moderna. Now they used, in this specific study, they used the Moderna vaccine, a single shot of Moderna, and they measured the fluids in the nose and in the mouth every five days and looked for antibodies just to see if there were antibodies there because they weren't sure there would be because, as you probably know, vaccines mainly work inside your body. You know, it's your lungs that get protected. So the question was, would, would the immune system get to your nose? And that was, that was an unanswered question. This is like four or five months ago. The evidence began to grow that indeed the immune system is in the nose and therefore you stop spread because obviously the, the virus can't grow in your nose then and can't spread. But this study just last week, it shows a fantastic result altogether. Huge amounts of antibody can be detected in the nose and in the mouth after one shot of Moderna. Now what that means is one shot of any vaccine, your weaponry is in place in your nose and, and mouth. Now why that's important is is to stop spread, obviously, because that stops the virus growing in, in those parts of your body. And, and it was a fantastic, after 15 days, Pat, after the um, first shot of Moderna, there was a 16-fold higher levels of antibodies in your nose and your mouth. You know, in other words, the nose was especially protected, it seems. And of course, it comes out of your nose. So it, it can come from your mouth, as we discussed. And there were good antibodies in the mouth as well, by the way. But, but the nose did seem to have a huge amount of antibody after 15 days. And so what that means is if, if any virus goes into your nose, it gets eliminated and it can't grow there. And therefore, you can't be source of spread. Now, now, what this means will delight everybody, Pat. <laughs> we're, we're heading towards not having to wear masks. That's what this means after we're vaccinated. Because when you're vaccinated, you will not pick up the virus and then you won't be spreading it. So there's no, there'll be no need for you to wear a mask is the idea. Now, not yet. Let's, let's re- emphasise. We've got to keep up let's with it. Emphasise. Yeah. Well, let's just in case people start people ripping their masks off. We don't want that yeah. just now because this is, this is the first study but, that's But strong. when we have 85% of the adult population and, you know, uh, in the uh, US, we know that Pfizer are looking for permission to bring the age right down um, so children will be vaccinated. That'll probably follow here once it's uh, yeah. to, uh, safe. So when you have a huge proportion of the population yeah. uh, who are all safely vaccinated, well then, you know, yeah. masks can be discarded. Yeah, exactly. But maybe maybe we could use them selectively in winter for flu and vomiting bugs and things like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the antibodies become your mask, Pat. That's the way to think of it, you know. So now you've got a built-in mask in your nose and mouth, you see, that will stop any virus coming out of you and stop the virus growing there. You know, in other words, it's like a real barrier between us all in a way. And and I think we not, nobody nobody likes wearing masks, do they? But you're quite right, though. In the winter, it would make sense to wear masks indoors to stop all those other viruses because we should be well protected 
protected against COVID-19, let's face it, you know. So I suspect the recommendation was to be there in the winter, just in certain settings, the crowds indoors and so on. The advice might be to still wear a mask. Uh, Luke, what did you make of the report that uh, at least 514 people have been reinfected with COVID-19? Well, I was amazed it was a headline, but no surprises here. <laughs> I think it was 0.02% okay. of cases, you know. So, and, and as we said before, there will be a range, remember, because anything biology has a range. Some will get reinfected, a tiny number. Some are completely protected, and some have a tiny bit of infection that gets beaten by the immune system. You always see a range here, you know. So again, it's not, nothing surprising that you see the odd, bre- this is called breakthrough infections, and it does happen from time to time. You know. yeah. But again, I, none of those developed into severe disease, I bet you. So even if you get reinfected, the fact that you've been infected still has some immunity and stops the disease progressing, you see. So it wouldn't be anything to worry about. I was quite surprised that was a headline to me. Now, you want to tell me about a key sensor for SARS-CoV-2. Um, the body has some sort of radar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, this is a big unanswered question. Like, when, when the virus goes into your body, what does the immune system lock lock on with, in a sense? Like, what, what's the sensor of the virus? And there's been a few candidates. And then a big paper last week in a journal called Nature Immunology, which is one of the world's leading immunology journals, have identified the key sensor of this virus, and it's a protein called TLR2. Now, I've worked on that protein for 25 years, by the way. So I was very happy to see this, you know. And what happens is this TLR2 sensor can lock onto the virus, which is good, but the trouble is it can go into overdrive and provoke a massive inflammatory reaction. And this paper shows that the really damaging effect of the virus is over-triggering of that sensor, if you know what I mean. You get a flip and this sensor now goes massively off and drives a lot of the inflammation. And it was quite nice. They did a model in animals, because as you know, we do things in animals occasionally. We have to before we go to humans. They did a drug to block TLR2. And guess what? It suppressed all the lung inflammation with this virus. Now, there are drugs out there to block TLR2. And in fact, my pre previous company had developed one and we sold that drug to a Chinese company so we don't have it anymore but they may now develop that drug to block TLR2 in severe COVID and it's a really good example of that, again of um, that fundamental research on uncovering what the exact mechanism is by which you can go into overdrive and, and of course a percent of people as we know they get an overreaction and, and then they get all the illness you see so again blocking that TLR2 switch now becomes a real prospect and it wouldn't surprise me that they'll even start clinical trials soon because the drug we had now several companies of drugs, by the way, and that wasn't just us. They could easily start a trial immediately because these were safe in humans already, you know. So now we have another add-on as the therapeutic in hospitals. Okay. Uh, now, uh, some of the other news that's been uh, floating around the place, uh, Little launching their antigen test, uh, packs of five, sold uh, in one day, I think, 10,000 packs. And then we have Tony Holan disparaging that process. What did you make of that? Yeah, that, well, it's a tricky one, that, Pat, because what you don't want is people just buying tests and doing them and thinking they're bulletproof. You see, that's one slight concern. You can see where yeah, he's coming and, from. And that's how he articulated it. But there are many people who, you know, have been using them yeah. for reassurance, for safety. You know, it's, it's um, you know, one of the tools that's available and they've been doing it safely. Now they can get a, you yeah. know, a fairly inexpensive version in their local little um, yeah, what was you know, surprising was that he said if there was a wedding and you might miss half of them, but said you've caught half of them, haven't you? You know, so you've decreased the yeah. risk of that wedding by fifty percent, which has to be a good thing. And I suspect it's hard. I'm not sure what the exact percent is on that kit, by the way, but and there's a risk of the person doing the thing wrong in a way, you know, which might be in the back of his mind too. But I think a fifty percent effect is not not bad, is it? Let's face it. And then of course you tell them take a PCR test if you're positive next. It's just a screen, you know. So the, I think what happened there was little kind of stole a march on the government in a sense, you know. I said, Here, we're putting it up to you now. Mm-hmm. You need to bring your tests out or at least have a way to make sure testing is possible. So it's been an interesting development.
Yeah, because we had a, a, an emailer, I think, last week on the programme saying where you have a vacuum, someone's going to fill yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the government have been dilly-dallying about antigen testing. Um, I think only 300 antigen tests used in hospitals since the beginning. Yep. And they've had millions available to them from the EU and other suppliers have been offering them. They haven't used them. And now they find themselves yeah. having a war of words with Little, who went on to talk about the science of their particular right. product yeah. and its effectiveness. So. Yep. There's a way. There's Unseemly. A, there's a way to do it, and it wasn't this way, was it? That's what strikes me. You know? so, so, in other words, it could have been done much more effectively. And, and let, let little sell their kits; it's great. But the, the, the HSE should have issued guidelines and, and organise this better. Would be my view, you know. And as you say, little have filled that gap. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just like you know a, a saliva test. You do have to take your sample from the the nostrils or yep. the throat or whatever the instruction on that particular kit is, and then uh, you you mix it with a reagent and drop it into a little uh, like a pregnancy test thing, and then uh, a line appears, a control line as the substance moves along um, the the material, and that shows that yep. the thing has been effective. And then if you're positive, you're positive. Yeah. They recommend that you do it again if right. uh, yeah. if you're positive and if you're negative you're fine but anyway that's yeah we'll see what happens next fat watch i wonder what's going to happen now and that kit's been validated by the eu it's been signed off on you know it's got all the correct uh, labeling to say this is a, this is a valid kit to use you see so let's see what happens next all right. Uh, some of the questions coming in. Uh, I have severe allergy to penicillin and I'm coming close to being eligible for the vaccine. Is there any one of the three vaccines recommended over the others for people with severe allergies or are they all the same? Yeah, all, all the same. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't be worried because you'll sit there for the 15, 30 minutes you see, they keep an eye on you, you know. And, and in fact, the allergic reactions got rarer over time. The more people have been vaccinated, they realise the less common it is. It's almost negligible now that someone's going to have an allergic reaction. There, there are one or two components components that, that might be driving this, but even still a tiny number, even if you have a history of allergy, you know, you're le- very unlikely to have an allergic reaction, but they will keep an eye on you when, when you're there just in case. So I, w- I wouldn't worry too much about that. If someone has had COVID, do they need to get a vaccine? They do. Yeah, that's the advice. And, and in fact, again, tremendous data. I think it was about three weeks ago we discussed this. Part. If you've been infected and then you get one shot, you get a massive immune response. Talk about putting on a huge suit of armour that would endure for months, we think, and will work against any variant, was the prediction, by the way, as well. So if you want to be absolutely immune, if you like, uh, take the vaccine after you've been infected. They, they may move to only allow uh, suggesting one shot in that situation because the data yeah. is so strong now that a single shot works great in someone who's been infected. So I would definitely take the vaccine because it'll, be, it'll work really fantastically well on you. Could you ask Luke about the concerning article in the New York Times entitled Reaching Herd Immunity is Unlikely in the US? Experts now uh, believe that daily vaccination rates are slipping and there's widespread consensus among scientists and public health experts that the herd immunity threshold is not attainable, at least not in the foreseeable future and perhaps not ever due to US exceptionalism. Well, that's to do with people not turning up for their vaccine, you see, and, yeah. and, and the vaccine hesitancy and not coming back for their second shot. And they're worried about that now because many people aren't turning up for their second shot. I think five million hadn't turned up for the second shot there. So now there's a massive public health campaign in the US to say, come and get your vaccine, make sure you come back for the second shot. And if you don't, there's a risk that this will go on for months and months and months. That's to kind of incentivize people, you see. Mm. You, you need to get to 80%, at least with one shot, you see, to begin to talk about herd immunity, you see. So if they can't get to that number. That's why they're saying that people just won't turn up kind of thing. So that, that, that's more of a pu- public health campaign, if anything. Yeah, and it, it may be... Uh 
here it could happen too that people say oh, I got one yep. shot and don't need a second so we have to beware um, three weeks after the vaccine my arm is still bruised badly um, that's from a News Talk yeah. listener Yeah I wouldn't worry again to be a range there some people have no effects at all post-vaccine and some do and, and maybe the, the, that hit a, a blood, tiny blood vessel or something caused a bit of bruising you know but that will heal over time I mean sometimes bruises take a while to resolve anyway you yeah. know so you just see variation between people there I'll, I'll keep an eye on it if you're worried in any way talk to your GP that's really important yeah. you know um, instead of potentially wasting Johnson & Johnson vaccine as a result of the age restrictions, could it not be used to give a second shot to the older cohort whose first shot was AstraZeneca? That's a question from Tom and Abby Leakes. It, it could be. I think the mission has to be to get everybody to get one shot. I think that, 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 that we've been saying that for a while now, get the single shot out as quickly as we can. Because then, remember, what we know now is a single shot works really well. So get the single shot into as many people as possible. And even with AstraZeneca, as, as, we ha- as we know now, after four weeks after the first shot, you get the vaccine dividend. The, the reason for the second shot is to give you an enduring response that'll last for months and months and months really, you know. And of course you need your second shot, we're not saying you shouldn't get it. But now I, I'd be advocating get Johnson & Johnson into as many arms as possible, irrespective yeah. of age, as we go down to the ages. They're, they're going to do that, I think, this week, aren't they? They're going to announce younger people going to have change, which makes perfect sense. Because they don't want vaccines sitting on the shelf. Yeah. Um, I'm getting the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine today, but now I hear that from June the EU will stop buying AstraZeneca. Will I get my second dose? Are you, you um, sure about you might that, get Pfizer. Uh, you might get Pfizer. There, yeah. There's a massive order for Pfizer, as you've seen. In fact, Pfizer have agreed to increase supply to the EU. So you never know. Your second shot might well be Pfizer. So I wouldn't worry if, remember, it's okay to have a different type of vaccine as the second shot. There's no immunological reason not to do that, you see. So again, if you did get a second shot, there's a different vaccine. It wouldn't really matter. Mm. Um, th- these problems are going to crop up for many listeners. This one, I can't visit my mother in the hospice unless I'm fully vaccinated. I've had one AstraZeneca. I'd like to get a J&J, is there evidence uh, about its safety? This is someone who's been told, look, it could be 12 or 16 weeks before you get your second shot of AstraZeneca, but anxious to visit uh, her mother. That's a difficult one. I mean, as I say, they're saying after one shot of AstraZeneca four weeks later but that's only someone who isn't vulnerable so sadly in that case the person you're visiting is in a vulnerable category so sadly you got away with a second shot I think there will be pressure if if, it's a, if supply isn't a problem there's no reason to have another vaccine in your second shot more quickly and then push the time in and, and, and why wouldn't that person make a case for that but on, on compassionate grounds you know so that, that'll, that'll happen I guess it'll cause a, a bit of a headache for the, the vaccinators but why wouldn't that person press for a different vaccine Sure. My wife and I are fully vaccinated. Our kids, though, are below 16 and are currently not eligible for vaccination. So are we a fully vaccinated family? This, I suppose, is due to the uh, the, the new rules where you can meet other units in the back garden or whatever. And would that family with two people who could get COVID, there's no question yep. about it. We saw the numbers last week. We mentioned them that under fours, there are a certain number, uh, four to 12s, 12 to 16s, uh, you know, hundreds of uh, cases reported. So the kids are not immune. They're not, they're not full. No, that's true. But we do know it's a very sort of a benign disease in children. That's for definite, you see. So that, that takes some of the worry away if a child gets infected. Yeah. I suppose it depends who they're meeting. Exactly. If they're meeting exactly. someone yeah. who's vulnerable, maybe who hasn't had the shots yet. They're, they're the, only, the only ones I need to worry about, in my opinion, from now on are, are vulnerable people who haven't been vaccinated. Because if you're invulnerable, then you're OK, you know. And, 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 and we now know the, the instruction is there. A vaccinated person can meet someone else who isn't vaccinated if they're not vulnerable. And that would be those kids, you see. So, so those kids can meet anybody really as long as they aren't meeting someone who's vulnerable and hasn't been vaccinated, hence the need to get the vaccine into all the, the right people. 
Um, this uh, nice text from a News Talk listener. Uh, big thank you to the pair of you for your positivity and keeping us sane, especially on the many days waking up afraid of what the day would bring and wor- worrying whether COVID would cross my door. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Denise in Cork says, I've had such a bad reaction to the AstraZeneca vaccine that I received on Friday that I could not face another shot. I had headache, nausea and vomiting and a very swollen, painful arm. That's from yep. Denise in Cork. Pardon, yeah, Denise said I've had a tough, tough time. Again, a certain percent of people will have that very strong reaction and, and, and that's been seen now in, in millions of people. In fact, what the percent is isn't clear, but some will have that really rough reaction. Now, there's a good side to that, as we said, but that means the immune system's kicking off great. Yeah. I'll bet Denise has massive amounts of antibodies and T-cells because the immune system is firing off, you know. So it's nothing to worry about. But but again, if you feel it's very severe, definitely talk to your GP, you see. The second thing yeah. is the second shot's inclined to be less like that because you kind of desensitise slightly to it, you know. So the advice again would be to take the second shot and not to, not to worry too much. And then you can take paracetamol. That can give relief to these symptoms as well. Great stuff. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you very much for joining us. 